I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. One quick message before I start the show. You can find all the links and resources for this episode by visiting the show notes on rickyrichards.com. If you enjoy this episode, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can help me to grow the show by leaving a review on iTunes. For anyone who does subscribe, review or share, thank you. I appreciate it. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to Ricky Richards Represents, the show where I talk tips for success with leading figures of creativity and innovation. Uh, hello everyone, thank you for uh, tuning in again, uh, another episode. Today I've got a very, very special guest, someone that I met a few years ago now who was very kind to come on again. So Charlotte Austin is a behavioural psychologist and executive coach, working with organisations and individuals to design and deliver coaching and training to help clients create uh, and work at their best. She's a practitioner for the Association of Business Psychologists, uh, very complicated words I'm trying to get out here. <laughs> She's accredited by the International Coach Federation and Coaching Academy. She's also a certified cognitive behavioural therapist and as such helps clients to deconstruct thoughts and behaviours and to build more successful ways of thinking and working. Uh, Charlotte has worked for a huge roster of clients including AKQA, Boots, BP, EDF, Channel 4, BBC, Mark Spencer, River Island, JP Morgan, Chase & Co, HSBC, We Are Social and many, many more. In short, Charlotte is a super duper smart workaholic and welcome to the show. Thanks. Um, yeah, so just before we kind of get into the the interview, just to give some people some background. So I used to work at AKQA, who happens to be one of your long-term clients. Yep. And I just, it was my first advertising job. I'd probably been there for a couple of weeks. And then I got uh, told to go to a room where you were there <laughs> and you were teaching me some, uh, what, what would you call it? Some techniques to, to be more confident, maybe? Or yeah, communication. Communication techniques. Relationship building stuff. And I remember being like trying to trying to really do something different. So I turned around and then did a little jump into whatever yep. I was talking about. Super cringy. <laughs> uh, but, you Unique, know, though. Yeah, there you go. I still remember it. And so you don't remember many days. Um, so I know you've done a lot uh, with regards to psychopaths. I have. However, it's not very often you get to sit with a behavioural psychologist and someone who works with executive people. And so I thought, I'm going to throw all my problems at you, <laughs> see what you can come back with, and then uh, hopefully people will be able to cherry-pick you know, some nuggets of information that might be helpful to them. Okay. So I'm going to start 
uh, just so that people have a good understanding of you and your beliefs with just a few like kind of overarching philosophies, if, if that's okay. Yep. Uh, so I'll start with your philosophy on high performance. Okay. So, uh, you know, what within your client base, uh, what are some of the things that you've identified as some of the characteristics of people that have high performance? I think that high performance is all around what you think you can do and what you can do and closing the gap between those two things. Also, you know, what the people who hired you or the people around you that you're working with, what they think you can do, their expectations and perceptions of you and how hard you work and how able you are to close the gap between where you are now and where you want to be and where they think you can be. Right. And that comes down to motivation. Motivation is all around what you're interested in, what inspires you and how how you apply yourself really around those things. I think that high performers really are around. I mean that it high performers can can be living their purpose so they know why they're doing what they're doing as well as knowing how and what they're doing. I think that's that's a really key aspect of high performance. Already there's things I would love to pull from that because it, it's interesting that you talk about how what other people expect of you. So mm. already the element of perception mm. and crafting that in order to give yourself the best opportunity. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll delve deeper into that. But um, yeah, great, great, great thing. I don't and know if that made sense. No, it did, it did, it did. <laughs> um, philosophy on leadership. So what uh, makes a great leader? I think a great leader is someone who makes the people that work for them feel valued and important and listened to. I think that leaders without ego and who leaders who create win-wins for people are the ones that you remember and the ones that you trust. I think a self-interested leader is somebody who would, yeah, okay, maybe they create quick results and good bottom line, but will their team stay with them through the, you know, through thick and thin and when times get tough? Not not so much. I think uh, great leaders are people who create valuable and meaningful relationships with the people that they work with. So do you think that's counter uh, to the, the Steve Jobs, you know, the, the arsehole uh, leader, so to say? Uh, I think he created incredible results right. and huge leaps forward yeah. in how we think and behave. But whether he created great relationships, good morale and positivity within teams i don't know i know know what his reputation was it doesn't mean that they don't get good results but it does mean that they don't build great relationships and i think that i personally am happier doing business with people who i feel connected to because they're authentic and we can create trustworthy win-win situations together i 100 percent agree (laughs) this is a nice one um philosophy on how to live a good life and the reason i ask you this is because on your website, I think it said like you had a the formula for uh, what was it? Creative uh, no, life fulfillment or something. I was like, that is a yeah. bold, that is a bold claim. I think I do actually. Yeah? All right, let's hear. Yeah. It. Well, chat. The name of my company is based on uh, the values that I personally try to live and work by: connection, honesty, authenticity, and trust. And I think if we have those things, then we're on to an absolute winner, not just in business, but also in our lives. If we're connected to ourselves, we're able to connect to other people authentically, not through trying to be someone we think we should be, but through really knowing ourselves and therefore being able to represent ourselves 
um, in a truthful way. People can feel that if you're for real, you know, or if you're kind of faking it, it, it comes across. So I think connection's important. Honesty, being honest about how we think and feel. Um, authenticity, that's alignment with, you know, our beliefs, how we behave, and therefore the results we get, the relationships we build. And then trust is super important. I think if we trust each other, we're able to do great things. And if there's mistrust or miscommunication and doubt, we feel nervous. And when we're nervous, we can't perform at our best because we're kind of watching our back and wondering what's going to happen. So I think trust is key to making people relax and therefore more creative. So uh, next one on the philosophies, I think you absolutely nailed that. Clearly that's uh, been drilled in. That's that's an elevator pitch, if I've ever... Well, oh, yeah. well kind of. <laughs> you know, you've been living by those values for years and years. Well, I try to, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I do try. I, I do get disconnected from myself and I do get disconnected from the people around me sometimes. I yeah. want to be more connected... For, for example, connection is really important to me, but I don't ring my family, for example, as much as I should in order to have the connection that I want to have with them. So, That's super difficult, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's, it's sometimes really hard to make your behaviour align with your values, but I wouldn't say I live by it all the time, but I certainly am aware of them and I certainly try to. I don't always get it right. Yeah, so you've been super honest there because one of the things I was going to ask you is when you're your whole job is to kind of help people with some of these tricky questions. And then, you know, is there days when you just, you're anything but feeling happy in yourself and you're just like, you know, I'm as if I'm teaching people this stuff and, you know, everyone has their bad days, right? Yep. I'm sure you're fully aware of the fact that happiness isn't a continuous thing and that no. you have your highs and lows. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, how do you pull yourself up when, when um, you know, you're not having one of those good days and you're, yeah. you're preaching it to your clients? Yeah, it's, it's, I, I find being honest is the way that I create connection with people in the room. So I'll just tell the truth about what I'm experiencing. I don't talk about myself much. You know, you know, when I've worked with you before, I don't really talk about myself because it's all about the other person. Um, but, but if something comes up and I can give an example of how I'm not aligned somehow, um, it can help people relate to me. I certainly don't claim to be getting it right all the time absolutely not sure. um, a way I find really helpful um, for bringing myself and my clients back up is to think about emotions as a pendulum and we swing from fear and negativity or darkness and then to try to make ourselves feel better we can try and swing ourselves into thrill or excitement or something and they're quite um extreme emotions so I always try and think about myself at the point of the pendulum you know the top place the calm home place where I can observe my emotional states and I can just be conscious of how I may be trying to swing myself in one direction or another and try to find calm and peace um, and self-awareness through I think yeah, the, the kind of key word there for me at least was the is the self-awareness part and noticing that oh you know I'm in a shitty mood right mm. now I'll give you a perfect example I lost my keys this evening and I was I'm super super uh, annoyed about it I won't swear however I'm like you know what I'm not gonna let this ruin my day yeah I'll just dissipate it for a cup for for a couple of hours yep. and then I can be annoyed about it later while I try and find them. Yeah, compartmentalize uh, your emotions. <laughs> emotions that's a, that's makes it sound like that's horrendous, but um That's okay. No, 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 it's a coping no. strategy. Exactly. Just to be able to identify when you're you're going through those ropey parts yeah. and to say, do you know what, I, this is just an emotion that I'm experiencing. Um moving on just to so that's kind of a way to feel a level of uh, fulfillment and happiness in your life but 
is there something more to meaning? And the reason I dig into this is, um, you know, I feel like I personally try and pursue my values as much as I possibly can. But then even when I've got all those ducks in a row, I ask myself whether what I'm doing is actually meaningful. And, mm. and um, you know, should I be maybe going against my values for the purpose of creating something that is more beneficial to others than just myself, for example? Okay. So you mean um, having meaningful output from the work that you do? Yeah, that, I guess that was my interpretation of it, but you may have a different one. Uh, just living a meaningful life to me. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because I guess it's a personal way. You know, it's very, it can be interpreted in multiple ways. Mm. Um, I do look at, you know, these big figureheads, and I think there's a lot of young people who get suffer with anxiety, for example, based on the fact that they're not achieving to, to the degree that they wish they were. And then also there's with the internet and everything, there's so many examples of people that at least on the surface appear to be living really fun and exciting lives. And then even on top of the fun and exciting, there's people who seem to be doing things which are for the benefit of humanity and yep. whose life they basically commit themselves to projects and temporarily make their lives not necessarily great mm. in order for the benefit of okay. the masses. Right. And I think, you know what, maybe if I focus my energy, I could potentially do that, but I would yeah. ruin my uh, my cushy life in the, in the process. Yeah, yeah. But do you, ever, do you ever ask yourself those things, or do you feel like you're just very, very aligned? I do ask myself those things still, and I certainly did a few years ago. I um, think it's important for us to understand the purpose behind what we do, so why we do what we do. Steve Sinek wrote um, Start With Why. I don't know if you've read yeah, or come yeah. across that. I think that question is important to know the purpose behind what we do and how we do it. I think that's key to understand for ourselves first and then we can translate that into living a meaningful life for ourselves in the first instance and then if we want to... Um, do meaningful things for others and we go beyond ourselves and we start to make meaning in our community and further afield. I think that if we don't know why we're doing what we're doing, we can feel quite lost. Um, but I don't know necessarily that we should feel that we need to create meaning for everyone else around us. I've certainly felt the pressure to do that in my life. And I know people who don't feel that pressure and I don't think I'm happier than they are or they're happier than I am. It's really personal choice. Yeah. I would ask you, why do you want to have an influence on the community around you? And well, what, what's driving that? Yeah, so again, this is an interesting one because I've thought about this with regards to the whole question around personal development in the first place. Like With personal development, there's a, there's a, a core essence to it, which I feel like is about uh, striving to succeed stuff. And actually, there's many people who lose that desire and are just equally as happy in just, uh, I say this with air quotes, like being a nobody or not achieving anything and just being, you know, enjoying what existence they have, mm. um, regardless of whether on paper they've accomplished anything or, you know. How no, but maybe they've accomplished balance and peacefulness and... Yeah and um, just self-fulfillment, and well, that's enough for some people, and that's, and the, that's fine. That's the thing. I, in in a, way, a weird way, I think I admire if you could sit in a room for your whole entire life and just be peaceful inside your own head, I think, like, you know, there's something to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
yeah, going back to the the meaning question. Uh, so for people who are listening to this and they feel like they're in that that state where they've asked themselves why and they realise mm. they're on a, a, a trajectory that isn't right for them. Yeah. Uh, in your experience, I'm sure you've met people in similar scenarios. Do you recommend that they, you know, throw everything that they've got uh, to one side and just purely pursue after what they're after? And say, for example, uh, I'll put myself into this category mm. where there's something that I would feasibly rather pursue but say I'm earning good money and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm living a good life yeah um why would I ch- or trying to explain to people who would support you to chuck that kind of stuff away mm-hmm. in order to pursue something that for example would would make your life harder on paper because you're unable to sustain yourself yeah well um, you, that's a key thing sustainability yeah and how how um extreme you're being with your change of direction i mean we have fundamental behaviors that we do because they um allow us to function kind of just functional behaviors so you know a certain level of financial security would be important for you to continue to function and be able to even have the energy to pursue your dreams so it it would be about balance it would be about identifying your ideal aspirations and identify your core driving behavioral values and if financial stability is one of those then you're going to need to keep a certain amount of financial stability based on your activities maybe in a job that you're good at and that you already know and are being paid for and and make sure that you have um some kind of solid ground to work from potentially if you threw yourself in an, in another direction um you might be so far outside your comfort zone with no remaining behavioral core kind of driving values that would um mean that you were able to sustain that new behavior i think potentially you could throw yourself too far outside of your current functional zone and become um, disorientated, unproductive, and exhausted. Just to counter-argument that, because I'm going to push you. Do it. <laughs> um, push me outside my comfort zone. Yeah, that's I'm it. there already. Well, I, I'm just so say uh, you want to pursue something that requires the ten thousand hours, the hard work. However, mm, your yeah. day job takes nine till six, which by many uh, is still quite short hours. Some yeah. some companies take uh, more of your time. Yeah. And then trying to craft this life that you really yeah. desire on the side, yep. it feels like it's going to be unattainable if you're not mm-hmm. if you're not sacrificing something. And is yep. it is it a case of just weighing up if it's worth it? Yep. And deciding if I say yes to this, what do I say no to? And the things you're saying no to, are you willing to to take that risk? I um, did that when I was transitioning from my career in the media to become a coach, and I said no to personal life (laughs) and relaxation and watching tv and all those things you kind of do and also unfortunately said no to good physical health and i ended up burning out becoming exhausted and being taken to my doctor in quite a serious state so i know through experience of doing it wrong that we need to um think about balance and sure. yeah, of course, pursue the things we need to pursue. But remember, you're saying yes to some things and no to other things and really weigh up what those things are um, and make healthy choices so that you can sustain your new pursuit. So let's actually dig into that. What what was the transition that you made and, and um, you know, what was the burning desire for you to make those changes? I, I was changing from producing documentaries um, with an independent production company for the BBC and I wanted to become a coach and start my own business 
And so I was studying um, applied behaviour analytics um, and um, doing my diploma with the coaching academy while working full time. And that was taking up my weekends and also volunteering three hours a night after work, a couple of nights a week. So I would work, as you, as you were saying, from I think it was 10 till 6 I worked my day job and then from 7 till um, 10 do the volunteering um, and then the weekends. And so I and then studying in between, of course, for the diploma. So it just became just exhausting with energy and, you know, yep. um, my mind as well. And so did you... Uh, you know, I'm guessing eventually you gave up your your documentary in order to go all in. No, I, I continue. I kind of worked through, and I, was, I just bought a house. Actually, I've just realised, and I was renovating a house too, a complete yeah. renovation, living in one room. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was quite stressful living environment too. So all my and I just moved to Brighton from London, so I'd left my friends behind. So I, I yeah, I did everything at once, which in you know in hindsight wasn't the best idea. It's important to have a support system around and a self care regime that you can fall back on if you're feeling a bit exhausted in one area you need to have other stuff that can you can kind of relax around and I didn't really have that so I made some <laughs> gung-ho choices and I yeah, and don't but, know that I did it again but you got there right yeah I did I just I did I um I went to see the doctor I had high blood pressure and for my age my weight my fitness levels that w- wasn't expected so the only thing that was causing that was stress and he said you need to reduce the stress in your life and I thought well, I can't really do that actually um and I thought what else can I do so I read Dale Carnegie's How to Stop Worrying and Start Living and I absolutely put those principles into practice and I changed my mind set and my attitude and I was able to increase my capacity for um, stress I suppose you would say and I just I reframed it in my mind and I started to feel better. It's funny how so in that transitionary period you're going through extreme amounts of stress and you're about to start coaching people yeah so that you know in your head you must have been feeling a lot of contradictory emotions regarding that like you know Mm. can I look after myself and then teach people to to, because what was the coaching you were going into was it specifically around same kind of things you do now? Um, it was through my qualification period. So it was uh, pure coaching mainly, which is where you don't give any suggestions. It's not. It's non-consultative. Um, it's just pure coaching. So asking questions to help the person you're coaching gain insight into their own situation right. um, and achieve their own goals. So I wasn't advising. I was asking insightful questions. So I wasn't in a position to... Um, I wasn't in an advisory position at that stage. Right. Is there any tricks to asking insightful questions? I think I could benefit <laughs> from that. Yeah, <laughs> um, you are you're doing it now. Yeah. You're, you're actively listening. You're you seem to be genuinely interested. Right. You're listening to my answers. You're you're helping me to explore thought paths that I wouldn't necessarily explore myself. Helping to unlock wisdom by yeah, just really listening to the person, reflecting their their words back to them, and helping them see themselves from another person through another person's eyes you're, you're doing it well that's good to know i'm a natural yeah then. you are yeah <laughs> um so i've got this theory and i wanted to run it past you because i often run it i say it to friends all the time and i think it's correct and then probably in your eyes it's horrendously wrong so <laughs> I, thought I, I thought i'd consult the professionals oh, God. and it came from my um so prior to living in uh, london i never used to drink coffee and then since coming to London, I, I got into the artisan hipster coffee shop thing and, and started drinking coffee. And then when I went back home to North Devon, um, my parents offered me just, you know, run-of-the-mill Tesco's 
brand coffee or whatever and I thought it tasted disgusting. Yeah. Now they get a lot of enjoyment out of that simple coffee and because my expectation was quite high, um, I didn't s- s- uh, get the same level of satisfaction. Yeah. So to extrapolate that, I've kind of come to the conclusion that the reason why there's this stereotype around very wealthy but unhappy people is probably something to do with the fact that they live their life with high levels of, of uh, good things around them and uh, much higher than most people's expectations or uh, standard living uh you know experiences and so when they have something which is below that level that they're used to they uh, experience negative uh, feelings and so part of my philosophy for happiness is to just have extremely low expectations surrounding things or to not get too attached to the luxuries is there some is there some truth in that uh yes for sure because you've experienced it as truth um but i would say that um so you're talking about feeling let down because you've had a new experience and it, it kind of um, it, it wipes out the pleasure of the experience that you've had before. Well, so say I go to a hotel and the, I find the bed extremely comfy because the bed I sleep on is a £100 mm. mattress from mm-hmm. some rubbish shop, mm. whereas the person that's uh, grown up with a wealthy family yeah, okay. and who has a, a luxury... Uh, mm. uh, memory foam mattress and it's amazing yeah and then they go to this hotel and they're like oh this bed's horrendous you know Mm. and like we both had the exact same experience it's just that person's experienced it negatively because Mm. their expectation level's higher Mm. Mm -hmm. and is you're asking is that wrong i'm asking is um i guess so uh that to me is like the core of my philosophy surrounding happiness (laughs) okay as in I have very low expectations of anything. I'm not. I'm not right. so. I, so, yeah. whenever anything bad happens, I never expected it to be good. You know. Yeah. And so, when good things happen, I'm really happy about. Well, that's that. that's, that's good. Yeah. That may, may, hopefully, means you're pleased often. Yeah, please. I guess so. Yeah. So, or, yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. I would. I would say that. Um, so when you okay when you're talking about the mattress example, I'm thinking maybe you lay on a. Um, hard bed but maybe you live I don't know I'm thinking in a tree house or a beach house right because you lay on planks or something yeah and you're and the person who lays on the really expensive mattress maybe lives in I don't know in the city and they would come to your environment and be blown away by what they see but you see it every day so you're like yeah oh yeah this beach is beautiful right and they're like yes this is incredible i wonder whether it's experiences and what we become normalized to rather than the monetary or material value of the things we experience maybe it's what we're normalized to what we're used to yeah. don't know whether that's representative of money or status or whether it's just exposure normalization and therefore our perception of new things rather than um extravagant things i don't know i would also say that being grateful in each moment is that's that's one of my keys to happiness anyway is to be grateful for what i'm experiencing um whatever that might be and also to have a multi-sensory experience so with your coffee (laughs) with your parents (laughs) i i totally get that the taste of the coffee might may not be as good as the taste of the um, cool coffee, but I wonder if you were to 
take the whole experience in its entirety and and build in the fact you're spending time with your parents and that's a nice experience. Let your emotions Wait, come into it. Wait, make me feel it. guilty. No. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. I'm, jo- like I'm, joking I'm joking. It's like a holistic, full sensory appreciation of each moment. That yeah. might that might help people to fully immerse themselves in what, you know, if I'm, I don't know, if I'm in a five-star hotel and I'm laying down with my eyes closed and I feel the sun on me, the emotion, the, the, the primary kind of most basic root emotion would be deep relaxation. If I was standing waiting for a train on a platform in London and I felt the sun on my skin and I closed my eyes, my primary deep, my root emotion could be deep relaxation. Does it it matter where I am if I'm tuned into my most primary response? I don't know. We've uh, we've explored that. I think. Yeah, I think there's some. Have good... I been talking? Have I <laughs> no, gone I, off on I, one? I got lost, but uh, <laughs> it's. I tended to get lost, so it's all good. Um, <laughs> so, moving on to more marketingy stuff, and the reason I would like to talk about this is because I've, from afar, I've kind of watched what you do, and it seems like you're quite knowledgeable around marketing, and to to a, a certain degree and also again with regards to advertising versus marketing that feels to me yeah. like marketing has a has a um a lean towards building better relationships with people as opposed to you know just throwing messages in front of people's eyes yeah um but also part of that is with regards to perception and the way people interpret you and is there a cheat sheet of a few different things that people could achieve in their life that would help them to be um you know a little bit more attractive to employers and other people Mm. yeah okay so i was i i think that um there are some things so if there were five things that you could do (laughs) i would say um that think about what you can do or offer that others can't how are you going above and beyond to stand out and be unique So you make podcasts. How many people actually do what you're doing right now? Loads of people think about it. And and some people, yeah, of course, they they do it on on their phones or whatever stuff they have at home, which is great. But how many people strike a deal where they're able to be in a sound studio in the middle of Soho making really meaningful stuff? I mean, that that stands you out. Don't tell them. I'm still still riding the wave of this one. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But that's that's important, right? You, You stand apart. And that's that's important. Um, being able to sum up what you do and why you do it in a couple of sentences that also highlights the value for the person that you're telling, that's going to be really important. So you, I think you said an elevator pitch earlier and it sounded like I was doing it. I wasn't actually aware no, I was no, doing no. it. But that's a good, yeah. that's a good thing to, to do, actually, to consciously do that. So whether you're in an interview or whether you're networking and meeting people, be, you know, yes, say what you do, but really say why you do it and then add on what they can benefit, how they can benefit by your service or your product and then they get, you're going you're gonna to spark their interest. Um, have an opinion or, or an approach that you can talk about and write about. Maybe you even publish it or you do talks. That's going to stand you apart, get you some publicity and make you, um, yeah, if, if people can search for you and what you think and feel, that's going to be important. So I'd say that's the third thing you can yeah. do. Um, keep your word. That's super important. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you meet someone when you're networking or you have an interview and you say you're going to follow up the next afternoon, do it at the time you say you're going to do it. Keep your word and that will start to build trust early on. 
and then make sure you continue to do just that. Just realised I already broke that one with you because I promised you I'd send you uh, some questions <laughs> and I never did. I'm sorry. No, that's you did uh, in the end. I did in the end. And I don't think you even gave me a deadline or a timeline. So oh, okay. actually, yeah. Definitely do. Don't be too hard on yourself. Yeah, That's yeah. a fitting. No, it's not. <laughs> be hard on yourself. Right. Um, be creative. So if you want to get some someone's attention, um, just capture their interest and stand out. So, for example, when I wanted to um, get this uh, position a while ago, I um, there was a there was a standard application process that you could go through and fill out a CV, etc. But I delivered a high hazard um, package to somebody with all the black and yellow hazard markings and taped up the box and everything, and sent them the day before I sent them the uh, package. I sent a tiny little package with a magnifying glass in it. Um, with a message saying you'll need this the day before by courier and then the next day I sent them this package when they had to kind of open it up and it said I don't know warning extremely creative material inside or something you know kind of <laughs> super cheese <laughs> super, super cheese right but it was you know they would have got pages of CVs and I just thought no I stand out do something memorable be creative um, and then they had to open the package and follow, follow various clues and things to get to um, information about me um, so yeah I would just say be memorable um, so that you um, yeah interest people and, and they remember you they're the, they're the five tips that was a good one so you got the gig yes I've got another one right that I've been telling students for years and as yet nobody's done it which is to uh, on like a lot of the web, these website builders you can do now like Squarespace and stuff you can create little hidden pages on the back end of your website okay. and I've always thought it'd be great to use a service like moo.com where mm-hmm. you're allowed to do uh, you know, multiples in, in a batch of uh, printing. Mm. So you do URLs with the names of the people that you want to speak to yeah. and to send those out, little mini things, but, mm. you know, addressed to the individual. And then if you see a domain name with your name at the end of it, it's very unlikely you're not going to type that into the computer, I, yeah. would, I would imagine. Right. And then, you know, whatever your message may be that you're trying to deliver, yeah. you know, it's quite an easy way to to uh, get it in front of them yep yeah nice there's one yeah take the advice people Uh, yeah do it please (laughs) and if you do it please send me your link to you doing it because i'd love to see that um so when let's talk about the workplace i know that that is one place you are an expert so when it comes to the career ladder uh it appears to be very formulaic Mm. and people go through these various life transitions um what are some of the things that reoccur issues that people face failure um, of projects or accounts um, and that can really shake confidence and, and actually at its worst even lose business so always learn from from failure and the people that learn from it and don't get deterred by it they're the ones that will that, that will um, prosper it can feel awful when you fail at something and we've all been there and it's how we deal with that in the end so if you can turn it, it I mean it's the age old thing and it's kind of advice you think yeah yeah but when it happens to me it's horrible and how you know how can I pick myself up but it's true see it as learning and and use it to to find another way next and, time and that happens at all stages it really does i mean yeah of course we all make mistakes and i think actually a really interesting um um, idea is to uh, do you listen to the Freakonomics I do, podcast? Yeah. yeah. So they came up with this. I think it was them who came up with it. This thing called the a pre mortem. 
Right. You heard about this, so I haven't. It's, I love this. So this is where. Um, so normally at the beginning of a project, we would imagine the success of the project. Of course, it's nice to think about the positive framing of things, right? But what they do is they um, do a pre-mortem. So they imagine that the project has totally bombed. It's failed, and then they work back from that failure and they really pick apart everything that went wrong along the way to make that project fail and all the consequences of that failure. So that they do the failure. I call it failure forecasting, but they they say pre-mortem. That's a cool kind of term. Yeah. It's, quite, it's quite scary. <laughs> yeah. And it's not great to be in that headspace. Of course it's not. Um, but it's very, very productive because then if you can imagine all the things that could possibly go wrong, you can do a prevention plan or a mitigation strategy, whatever you want to call it, and put things in place to stop all of those failures you can possibly imagine happening. So I think that's a really proactive way to approach failure. And failure is something that I coach people with often because it happens to everyone at every stage. And so what's your formula for for getting over them? That really, I mean, learn. Yeah. Turn it into a learning experience. Into a mitigation plan. Yeah, mitigate, prevention <laughs> plan, you know, and also accept it's going to happen and we're human and we make mistakes and our intentions are usually good. No one really kind of, I mean, we don't intend to to fail, do we? So don't be too hard on yourself, but be critically analytic and be proactive in your um, progress next time. So um, judgment from others is a huge issue as well um, that I coach people with a lot. Um, we we can become really self-conscious because of beliefs we have about ourselves, other people and the world based on our upbringing and all kinds of different things. And if we allow judgment to become limiting, that's really unfortunate. And again, that happens at every stage through our university, through well, through school, university, our first jobs, all the way up until you know the end of our careers, we can worry about judgment. And so it's really important to um, identify any of those beliefs or uh, limiting beliefs that you have. So just just throw an example out there. So is that someone saying, oh, I could never be the CEO of a company? Yeah. Why are you saying that? Why do you believe that? What's caused you to believe that? It could be a recent experience, could be past experience, could be assumptions you're making that other people are having about you, could be core beliefs that you have about yourself and realise that that statement, it's not based on fact because you don't know that that's true. Write it down, literally write it down and step away from it and acknowledge that you can change that. You have the key to your prison. (laughs) Use, Use it. There's a funny thing with perception, and I noticed this when I was growing up in North Devon. So, my par- for my parents, the TV, you know, was like a portal into another land, and the people that lived there were just of a different race, and you know, the the things that they accomplished were non-attainable by normal human beings. Yeah. Sorry, clearly my family is a great source of uh, pain for me <laughs> as I keep bringing it up, but it's just it makes me laugh, you know, in hindsight, because then when you meet. Uh, celebrities and they're as normal as you or I and you realise oh do you know what they just did what I'm doing but maybe got a lucky break or worked their ass off or whatever the case may be and um, there's a lovely Steve Jobs quote actually which is you know when you realise that everyone in the world has just been pushing in and making things pop out and that you could do the same yep that yeah, that changes your belief and outlook on the world. Right, yeah, you can expand your horizons by expanding your perception. And judgment, yeah, judgment um, that we make on ourselves and that we think other people make of us, God, that can be so limiting. So, yeah, you can, you really can work around limiting judgment beliefs. So do do that. And imposter syndrome too, you know, that feeling where you think, oh, they're going to find out I don't know what I'm talking about. 
that's yeah. awful. I suffered with that for sure. And I still do sometimes. And, you know, I think, well, I can, all we can do is talk from our experience and some of the knowledge that we have. I don't profess to um, teach anyone anything. I just talk about stuff I've learned and that works. And then I can tell you and then you can test it. Yeah. And that's how I get over my limiting beliefs to, to, to do that. And also just think, you know, if it might, the thing about limiting beliefs is that, um, they they just prevent us from doing what could be really good work. And the, is the limiting belief that you know the fact that perhaps I don't, I someone might think I don't know what I'm talking about. Is that is that belief more important than me potentially talking and people finding value in it? No, the the, the potential of people finding value in what I'm saying is more important than worrying if someone's going to think I don't know what I'm talking about. So you can use the um, benefits to outweigh some of your limiting beliefs. So write them down and pick them apart, then they become less scary. I've got two things and I need to say them out loud now before I forget them. So what, one of them is, with regards to limiting beliefs, what do you do if it's not necessarily you that has a limited belief, but other people mm-hmm. about, about your beliefs and you feel you're capable, but other people don't believe you are? Okay. And the second one, I've forgotten, which oh, is no. why I was going to say, you. it'll come to me. So yeah, the first one. Uh, other people not believing in you, how can you handle that? I think that you um, need to just show up and do the do the do the thing, literally prove it to them. So find ways of being able to to prove that you can through credi- you know credible um, practice or evidence. Whether you can show them stuff that you've done in the past that proves that you you know what you're talking about or you can do it or look for opportunities. Perhaps they won't give you the opportunity, so go outside of the place that maybe it's maybe it's your manager or something. If they are not giving you the opportunities, create the opportunity yourself some other way and um and show that so show that you can on that subject actually a little thing i put in my mailing list last month and it was um just a little uh, habit that i've formed that i've just find really valuable which is there's certain things which i think you know I, i'd like to dip my toe in that um but i, I don't want to put all of my uh my energy into it nor mm. do i want to believe that it's definitely going to happen and get my hopes up so what i'll do is is i'll just contribute to that thing one little uh, chunk at a time. One, so for I'll dedicate one hour to it every week. Mm. So for me, that would be um, writing or um, say say you wanted to be a film reviewer. So what you dedicate yourself to one a week. Mm-hmm. Well, within one year, you've got uh, what is it, fifty two, fifty six mm. mm-hmm. weeks in a year, and all of a sudden you could feasibly uh, get yourself work yep. as a result of that. Yep, and so chipping away at things yeah. and giving yourself the time to do it yes um, is really beneficial yes absolutely going back to one of the other th- I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Things you said, which was about value. Um, and value is such a kind of buzzword in all kind of coaching and marketing and even advertising. Mm. Um, but for a lot of people don't really understand the, the idea around value exchange. Mm-hmm. And could you go into that a little bit? Just to explain to anyone who's listening. So, um, so va- well, we can use what's happening between us, maybe, as sure. a value exchange example. So, I um, am here. Yes. <laughs> because, um, well, first of all, I enjoyed working with you before, so it's nice to work with you again. Yay. Uh, yeah. Um, and then I, you know, I... I <sighs> hope that I will be saying some things that will resonate with some people who are listening and that they'll find um, value from that. If they find value from that, then they'll contact you or they'll contact me and maybe that will lead to them getting in touch with me, maybe becoming a client of mine. If not becoming a direct client, then they'll tell someone else about me and the services that I can provide. And so I think the more connections we can make with people... Although the the financial value might not seem um, immediate, I do believe it pays off. I think if you have fun doing stuff as well, that will show, and people <laughs> want to people just want to keep doing things that feel good. So I think that's important. Yeah. Um, and also value is. I mean, I, I assume you mean monetary value, but actually, I like to spend my time in valuable ways, and I think that this is a meaningful thing to do. So I'm fulfilled by being here. Um, in 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 just the simple act of me doing this, I'm selfishly getting value from doing it because I'm enjoying spending time with you answering these questions. And then the value beyond this, I hope, um, is meaningful to other people outside of this room. Um, yeah. And I, I hope I'm giving. I I hope I'm giving valuable. No, I think you stuff are. back. But I think it's the value uh, mindset to me is a bit more of a, like a longer term strategy, and it's yes. and it's an investment in people. Yeah. So it's saying, you know what. Uh, neither of us are being paid to be here right yeah. now, but it is something we enjoy doing and other people are going to tune into this and listen. Yeah. And you know what? 100, 500 people that listen to this will listen and maybe take nothing or take something, mm. but there'll be one person that will really resonate, it'll yeah. help change their life in some respect. Mm. And as a result of that, they'll you know, maybe engage with us more. Yep. And that's how you build a community or in yes, your case, yeah. a word of mouth client base. Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's the thing. That That's the thing about perception and how these things pay off in all different ways. We can become obsessed with financial payoff, but, but the pay, exactly as you're saying, the payoff of a community and a following and a support network support is so important in this industry it's really really bloody hard I can, I'm sorry if I'm sorry no 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 go for it it's, <laughs> it's really hard and to feel supported and to give stuff out for free is super important because you know people see that you love doing what you do you're not just in it for the money I'm certainly not and it, it, that really shows and people want to work with you because you really really care I really care about what I do and I care 
that I get, you know, you said AKQA is a long-term client. They are a long-term client because I really care about the work I do for them. Um, and that shows and, and people really appreciate that. Well, here I am, right? Yeah. Well, here our conversation is. <laughs> yeah. And this started with a value exchange true, yeah. however many years ago. Yeah, yeah, there um, you go. So you never know, you, you never know. Yep. Who knows where we'll be in future? I know, right? <laughs> so when I've got an audience of millions, you can come on and, Thanks. yeah, there we go. <laughs> value exchange. <laughs> yep. From when I was a graduate, you yeah. invested your time and energy into me, yeah. and hopefully I can repay it back uh, in due course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, completely uh, off off change of subject, yep. but bullying and uh, in the workplace, persistent uh, persistent employees who aggravate, but are you know not enough to to I necessarily be able to report them but how do you yeah. handle uh, tough colleagues and people in the workplace through credibility right so I had an experience actually when I was a sound engineer so years 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 ago I was um, engineering a um, program for BBC Radio 4 um, it was a reunion program I won't say which one because I feel <laughs> I feel that like I've just stopped myself in time <laughs> uh, anyway there was um a group of people and I came down to take them to the studio so we could do the recording of the show and they saw me come down and I was really young at the time I was a really um, young female sound engineer it's quite an unusual thing to to, to do um, and they started to order the coffee and drinks from me in a way that was kind of old school um, and I said actually I'm your engineer I'm here to take you up to the studio and we set up and I ran the session and they they their perception of me changed. So through credibility, through not taking it personally, don't be defensive, but be rational, reasonable, respectful, and through credibility, um, you will you will um prove that their perceptions and the way that they're treating you is unjustified. So interesting that you've said that. Next week, I've got on um, a really, really inspiring tech entrepreneur called Melanie Mercer. And we've talked in the past about like how she may, um, you know, promote her product. And I know this is a bit of a tangent, but mm. um, she's a, a female founder and there's a lot of buzz around being a female founder. And yep. you can get a lot of uh, free marketing on the back of being a female okay. founder. And she kind of just went, nope, don't want, like, you know, I don't want anything to do with that. I just want to earn my stripes and to do it without, you know, I want to surprise people when yeah. they when they see that I've accomplished all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, in an industry where, for example, in advertising, it's all about 50-50 and all the rest of it, I thought that was a really inspiring response mm-hmm. even further. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so interesting that you say through credibility yep. that you feel people should ignore the... Well, not not necessarily ignore the negative, is it? But uh, yeah, you can't ignore it because you have an emotional response. But it's just, yes, being adult about it in your mindset, and so you can, yeah, you just it. Remember, it's not, it's not. I know it's personal, but it's not actually personal. It says so much more about the person that is making those judgments and behaving that way than it does about you in any way so what you do is you just continue to be credible and show up as professional and by doing that you'll you'll yeah you'll be reasonable rational and adult about it and and prove you can do the job does that carry through to other things i've always had this belief that if say as long as someone isn't physically harming me people could say something extremely negative to me and as long as i 
can take myself out of the situation and look at it upon as this person saying something, but that should not have that shouldn't affect me in the way I, uh, you know, go about my day. Which I think mm. that's hard, isn't it? Because it does affect us on an emotional level, so we can be bruised emotionally as well as physically. Right? I think that's where like. Uh, What's the, what's the expression? Hate is going to hate or whatever. Where does that does that is come from? That you know, or have I cheapened this great? great... <laughs> no, but I'm expecting you to rap or something. Yeah, yeah. No, I think um, I think your yeah that attitude is good. Definitely, it's hard. What you're what you're suggesting is really hard because it really can affect us when we're emotionally battered. Um, but but building resilience is so important. If you can build a wall, a great wall of resilience around you, so that if somebody is you know um, slating you in whatever way, doubting your credibility or being um, prejudiced or judgmental in some way, if you can emotionally balance the situation and think, okay, this person is being really difficult. If I can learn to deal with this difficult client or colleague, then I will be able to deal with similar people in the future. Or, you know, some you're having a negative experience in some way. If you can strike emotional balance and find the positive learning from a negative experience, then you'll build re- resilience. Also, if you can have um, self-belief, let go of the limiting beliefs, have self-belief um, and validate yourself rather than looking outward for validation, that can really help towards building resilience as well. This yeah, is something which is very, very current in my life, which is uh, my my partner is away in another country and she's working for a company and she doesn't necessarily enjoy it all the time, day to day. There's people that uh, bully her, for example, mm. but she is kind of hell-bent on seeing it out for the purpose of becoming stronger. Okay. Do you think that that's in those scenarios, would you encourage people to, you know, consciously themselves move on or to try and become stronger through facing adversity yeah i would say that either way is okay do what you have to do if you can build resilience that will help you in all aspects of your life not just your career if you're faced with bullies but in your personal life too and you know as life throws stuff at us resilience is key so if she can um yeah uh, in, in, in the context of this, it's a season, so she's got an end date when she's going to be leaving anyway. So it's oh, kind okay. of like a challenge to herself. Yeah. Should I just face this crap as opposed to I, I'm fully capable of moving away and being yep. happy? Okay. Well, that's good because she's got it in perspective. So it's finite. You know, it's going to end. Yeah. She she knows she has other choices and she's consciously choosing. I think if we feel we don't have a choice, we can feel really helpless and hopeless if we're stuck in a situation we can't get out of. But she realizes she has choice and so she's actively choosing to remain in that situation in which case she needs to build resilience um, around that and um, getting emotional balance as we've talked about seeing the positives in a negative situation self-validation being able to detach recognize her emotion if she's feeling frustrated or anxious recognize it label it know that an emotion will pass these things come and go find a I was going to say a happy place, but find find things that lift her up, that move her into a positive emotional space. Thinking about you, thinking about home, thinking about finishing um, what it is that she's doing. You know, anything and everything that she can use to bolster her emotional um, state, she should rely on those things. Build an archive of awesomeness so that she can look at that um, and make herself feel awesome if, if she's being put under pressure. 
That's a quote right there. <laughs> the archive of awesomeness. That's one of mine, yeah. That's yeah. my trademark. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to have to move fast because I, okay. keep, I keep digging deeper and uh, I'm, I'm probably running low on time. Okay. But uh, uh, having pressure conversations. So this is something that a lot of people are going to have to face in their life. You're uh, going face-to-face with someone who's highly intimidating, mm. someone you maybe really respect or whatever, and you've got to turn up. How, how, how should people go about it? So this is all around being in an adult state of mind and, and thinking about conflict as a um, debate or negotiation rather than a fight or a disagreement or argument. Think about you're going to share your opinion, they're going to share your, their opinion, you're going to listen to understand it from their point of view with respect and then you're going to share your opinion based on, based on um, genuine respect for theirs which might differ to yours um, I think if you show show up in an adult state of mind rather than like a parental patronising state where you think you know what you don't really know what you're talking about and I'm better than you and my idea is superior or a childlike state of mind where you feel very defensive and, and nervous and um, like you have to justify yourself if you can be again rational reasonable an adult um, and keep things fact based Yes, share your passions and show that you are emotionally um, dedicated to your work and your opinions, but don't become emotionally heightened so much so that you cannot remain in a rational conversation with someone. I think that if you focus on those key things, you'll, you sh- should hopefully feel stable enough to have a, a, what could be a difficult um, disagreement with somebody. I mean, find, find ways of disagreeing agreeably. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's good. Um... I would like to shift on to more business-related stuff just because you've started your own business and I find that fascinating. Um, And so how did you go from uh, deciding to become a coach, which we've already covered, to actually building a business with a few employees and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing? Um, Well, I... And where where do the uh, pressures kind of differ from when you started out on your own versus having a team of people um you know it's a very different scenario to be in yeah it well yes that's that is a difficult transition actually it's one of the most difficult things i've found to first of all communicate what i know very well in my head i know my philosophy i know my values i know the designs of my sessions and how i want to coach people the kind of message I want to get across and to be able to articulate that clearly so other people can not only replicate the design and delivery of a session but carry through my philosophy and my brand if you like to my clients that's really tough because there's there's trust around that can people do it in a way that I would be really happy with and they represent in the way I would want to represent my company Um, and also actually just translating what's in your mind so that someone else can clearly understand it that's a challenge I coach people around how to do that. <laughs> it's actually really hard. Yeah. So, I mean, because, uh, you know, people must have their own ideas, right, around how they want to tackle things. Do you ever yes. yeah. butt heads or have you learned from your employees? Yeah, absolutely. The people who work for me are incredible. Um, Johnny Lonsdale, he's one of my um, coaches. He's extremely good. He's a better coach than I am and I learn from him and his philosophy all the time. Um, yeah, I... I 
I, I, I um, ask people to work with me. I don't really like saying for me. We, we work together. Um, I learn from them. Yeah, absolutely. They can teach me just as much as I can teach them. The only thing is, is that I have um, certain ways that I would like things to be done if it's under my brand, and so they, they, they agree to that. Um, and if they think it can be done in a better way, they tell me, and we see, and and we collaborate. Just a question with regards, so when you're a coach and you're comfortable at speaking in front of people, you choose to have, or at least on paper at least, you have clients, so you go into businesses and I'm guessing that you're on some form of retainer or something along those lines. Sometimes, sometimes not. That versus, um, say, just extrapolation of numbers and, uh, you know, putting on events, for example, and knowing that we're going to get X number of people in, they're all paying X amount to be here, Um and that's there's some kind of scalability to that in that you can continue to grow it. Mm. Why do you choose to uh, work for clients as opposed, or do you do both? I actually ha- haven't. Um, do you mean events that people could come to and then buy into further programs? Well, for example, like a lot of the stuff we've talked about today, there's probably you know most of London could uh, could learn something from it. Or take something away, sorry. Mm. Uh, Public speaking is something that Mm. people really, really struggle with. And, you know, you could probably have uh, 30 people every night of the week turn up to something and and pay a small fee to to learn from yourself. Okay. Like, um, I'm just curious, why is that of no interest to you? It is interesting to me. I just haven't... I haven't done it. I I don't know how I would actually go about doing that. I don't know how I would... Um, market that or get the word out there I do as you know I 100% of my clients come to me um, through referrals recommendations etc which is amazing because I get I I, they're ready they're there they're ready Um, and to put on an event I don't know that I would have the I don't know I don't know that I'd have the network to do it I could find out but I haven't spent time or energy or focus doing that yet sure Okay, I was just cur- very curious to find out. I'd like to. Yeah. Tell me how, and I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Well, no, I, I, I used to run a thing called Phoby Sessions, which stood for Full of Bright Ideas, and it was off of a little studio I was trying to launch at the time. And what I found was is that the the sessions I used to do through Meetup.com grew way faster than uh, my client yeah. base. And I had six hundred people within a couple of months, like registered, and so wow. every event would would have, you know, ten, twelve people turn up yeah. uh, in, you know, a pub or something, and yeah, it was super, yeah. super low-fi. But I was like, oh my god, like you can yeah. build a community around an idea really yeah. quick, right? Um, and with your skill set and your approach, mm. I, I just thought, mm. ah, I wonder if you've ever considered that. I have, but I haven't done it because I. I, it's not something that I know, it's not something I have experience of having done or would know how to do. It wouldn't put me off. I just haven't spent any time doing it, but I would certainly, certainly give it a go. Well, let's, uh, let me be your first ever client. Sure. Um, very selfishly, I like to challenge myself to do public speaking a couple of times a year because it's fun, because I get nervous, because I get to write something and then see if it resonates with people. Yep. Um, what are some techniques for people to improve uh, their delivery in public speaking? Yeah, so um, 
speaking, as you've just said, speaking about something you find interesting yourself. If you find it interesting, you'll speak about it in an engaging and interesting way. And hopefully then that, I mean, that means that other people will find you interesting. Practice. Practice for your friends and your family. Practice in environments that you feel more comfortable in. Actually, for some people, that's with a crowd that they don't know and they feel more intimidated by people they do know, but whichever it is for you, practice speaking for a few minutes, all the attention's on you, um, and just normalise yourself to that experience because the, most of the reason it, that it's frightening is because it's a new thing to do and new things are scary, so normalise yourself. Um, and then I really think that the biggest thing for me anyway, because I was very, very nervous of public speaking, I had to have coaching on public speaking before I did it because I, I used to go red and shake. I still get nervous. Um, and the main thing that worked for me is to remember it's not about me, it's about the message and how valuable that message is for the people listening to me. So when you take ego and self-centred um, anxiety out of it, forget you, it's all about the message and how valuable you are being for the people in the room. And when you focus on other people, then it's easy. Two questions into that. So one of them is, how do people, uh, do you know of any avenues where people can do repeated practice? Like, mm -hmm. are, are there groups that people can attend? Or? There's a thing called Toastmasters. Right. There's one in close to here, the Covent Garden. I think that's fairly early in the morning. I think something like 7.30 there on a Thursday morning. That might be wrong, factually, uh, by the way. I'm, I'm going to find out and I will attend. Yeah, <laughs> go go on the Toastmasters website. They're, they're all over the country. Um, volunteer for stuff at work if there's lunch and learns. Um, if you have all company meetings, whenever that might be in your company, volunteer yourself. Do, you know, volunteer to lead the scrums or whatever it is that you can in your company to just expose yourself to, to speaking in front of other people and practice, practice. And then you, you briefly touched on like feeling nervous. What I find is uh, in the first two minutes of the talk, I will get extremely um, flustered, nervous, whatever. And then as soon as I break through that little wall, uh, and what I find is, is my breathing, spe uh, my, yeah. my speaking speeds yeah. up yeah. and then I have to go, <sighs> just take a big deep breath. And yes. then, you know, I, I, I'm not afraid to consciously do that. You know, when I'm doing the time, I'm like, right, hang on, guys, sorry, two seconds. <sighs> right, I'm OK. That's now. nice because you're a human being. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's it. But I just, you know, is there something for to help me get over that, that you know? that's good breathing for sure you would breathe yeah <laughs> um good posture too i mean that's that's important not just so that you have gravitas when you're standing and speaking but so that you can breathe well into your lungs um and also remembering that you need to have a start i mean don't i wouldn't say memorize what you're going to say definitely don't write it out and learn it word for word because if you forget a word then it throws you off the whole thing but know how you're going to start and know also know how you're going to end make sure you end concisely with a meaningful message that people will remember so even if you do go off on a tangent or someone throws you a question from left field you know where you're going to end up so remember that a strong start good breathing, good posture, remember your main points, your key messages, and know how you're going to finish. Also make sure that you finish with a valuable message for the for the audience, you know, something they can take away and use. Um, on that subject, and, and we, you were saying, like, you know, I'm a hu you're a human being, so you, it's okay for you to take a breath. But much of the way we like to... Convey ourselves is, you know, especially now it's through the internet and to everything can be very crafted. And one little mm. thing that I've come across is 
within the design and design space marketing is is like a no-go it's like you know every, people don't like the fact that you're public uh, promoting yourself mm. and also i'm really supposed to care about some of the intricacies of some things that you know i just think that there's more important things to concentrate on and so i'm not sure whether i should because i'm i'm very capable of um positioning myself to appease those people who are after uh, me to care about those things and I know I'm doing all this stuff and there's not actually people there looking at me saying this but on the way people think as a whole like you say perception mm. so I can create a perception to to make those kind of people happy but then mm. over here there's my true beliefs and um, should if you think it's beneficial for your career progression all that kind of thing do you think it's okay to to create some artificial perception around yourself, or do you think that that's that's wrong? Hmm. I have to. It's the kind of fake it till you make it to some respect, but it's also. Well, uh, when you say artificial perception around yourself, what do you mean? Well, f- say for example, uh, you want to be a a speaker, yeah, and you could do one event, take a bunch of photos, say you're very charismatic and that you love giving this thing. Yeah. You've created some artificial perception when people come to view whatever it is that you're engaged in. Uh, and then hopefully that's going to, uh, you know, when people come, that they'll, they'll see that and maybe they'll give you an opportunity. So there's one side of it which is kind of just clever marketing around the fact that you've not done a lot. Mm. But then there is... I'll tell you the exact example, actually. So I used to be a little bit more marketing heavy with the way that I used to uh, present myself online. And then what I realised is is that I got a lot of negative reaction from my tribe, which is designers and creatives. And so I then changed my online perception to be completely minimal, uh, a lot more kind of grainy imagery, and things which fit like fit into that tribe, right? And so whilst there's an element of me that wants to be a bit more business and a bit more strategic and a little bit more, uh, you know, marketing, for example, because I find it interesting, mm. but I, I, I appreciate the aesthetic of the design world yeah. and, I don't, and I don't want to shut them off. Yeah. And so I do yeah. these things in order to in some way appease those that crowd. Um, should I just go whole hog and... Sh- throw that all away well you want them to be interested in you right yeah why um because again so this is uh, i was saying to you prior to us going on on air that i was looking to at some point transition out of the uh the advertising industry for example but right now it's where all of my leverage lies because I've got a history in it and I've worked mm, for big, cl- mm-hmm. like good clients mm-hmm. and I've worked for good agencies. Yeah. It actually gets my foot through the door of a lot of places. So do, do I would say if you feel like you're being fake and it's detrimental to your authenticity, I, I don't know that that would be a great idea. Um, but if you feel like it represents a part of who you are and you can authentically relate and build rapport with those people, which you can... 
you're you're not faking that. You're doing it because you can and you you appreciate the value of doing it and they appreciate the value of doing it and you're actually going to be able to offer them a new perspective and insight into you and the work that you can produce. So I don't think it sounds like you're you're um creating false illusions about yourself. It sounds like you're a complex human. You have many facets and you're using all of those to get exposure to the markets that you have a network in. I, do, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I, I have to ask, just the only reason I have to ask is because I know that maybe people think these things but very rarely say them. Mm. And so one of my core values is being extremely honest. Yeah, me and, too. Yeah, and so, you know, that's something that goes through my head that very few people talk about and hopefully yeah. there's something to be gained from that. Yeah, I think if it makes you feel like you're faking and not being honest, don't do it. But if 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 you're being authentic to parts of yourself, I... I, I mean, I. This is just my opinion. I would think it's okay. You have. Okay. It's such a personal choice. Sure. Right. Let's get on to the stuff which you. I believe you say you're writing a book about. Okay. Yes, I am writing a book about it. Yeah. About psychopaths. Psychopaths. Yeah. Wow. Why psychopaths? What are you interested? Why are you interested in psychopaths? Um, I'm interested in them because I have lived and worked with them, functioning non-criminal psychopaths. And I know that they are everywhere and they can make us feel restricted and have self-doubt and all those things that we were talking about earlier um, that can really, really suffocate our personal development. And so I'm writing a book as a practical guide for those people who are living and working with psychopaths. The book is called How to Live and Work with a Psychopath. And it's a coping strategy, a practical guide for the 24 of the 25 of us that aren't functioning psychopaths in society. So one in 25? Yeah. So, because I asked you this before, I said sociopaths, and you said that's the old t- or yeah, it's, it means the same thing. It, it means the same thing. It's just psychopaths is the is the um, term that most most people use nowadays. Because I thought one of the characteristics of a of a psychopath is the ability to be extremely uh, charming and to navigate their way through life. Yep, it's uh, one of them. Yep, you know, extremely successfully. Um, so how there it's it's weird that there's like the perception of you in order to live with one it's a nightmare but yet somehow they're able to pull a wool over everyone's eyes and and be extremely successful um Mm -hmm. well is my point on this my point is i guess (laughs) are these you know deep down psychopath is just a word are these people is there something which means that they are definitely a psychopath? Well, it's a clinical diagnosis of a syndrome. Right. So could, uh, for those that don't know, myself included, could you explain what a psychopath is? Um, yes, I can try and do it in a sim- simple way. It means disease of the mind and it's a syndrome, so it's a combination of um, personality um, um, dis- disorders that culminate in psychopathy. So there's a, a thing called the checklist, psychopath checklist, um, designed by Dr. Robert Hare, which is the the gold standard for diagnosing um, psychopathy. Um, it's it, you can you can look the list up online. Um, I've designed a matrix called the 
um, the Austin psychopath matrix, where you cross-reference um, these characteristic traits with lifestyle choices, etc. Um, that's going to be in the book, that tool that you can use to diagnose um, the people that you live or work with. Not clinically diagnosed, by the way. In no way can these tools be used to, to make a clinical diagnosis. If you want to do that, you're going to have to um, go to trained professionals. But um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean... <sighs> There are characteristics that you're talking about um, being charming, um, grandiose self-worth, those kinds of things, lack of empathy, lack of spontaneous empathy. So um, the mirror neurons in their amygdala don't fire if they see, um, let's say, your hand gets burnt. Uh, mine would fire because I can instantly and and unconsciously empathise with you, but they 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 don't make any synaptic connections, and so you wouldn't see if you were um, doing a brain scan, you wouldn't see any firing of those um, connections there to show spontaneous empathy. But the fascinating thing is, um, based on new research um, in 2012 by I don't actually know, I feel really bad. I don't know how you pronounce the name Christian Kaiser. I think his name is the doctor who studied it. Um, you can cause psychopaths to consciously fire the mirror neurons in their brain. And that's a new discovery. So I believe we could coach psychopaths to be more empathetic, but the key defining characteristic is that it wouldn't spontaneously happen for them. So that's not just necessarily a personality trait. That's a physiological, um, a symptom of, of this disease. Two questions. It's very complex. I, I hate, no, I no, hate no. trying to summarise it in, <laughs> such, in, in such a short space of time. I'm curious to know about your experiences. I'm guessing you've coached some in your in your time. And also, um, to say this book that you're going to bring out, like who would it be useful for? So it's useful for anyone who feels that they are being bullied and um, exposed to potentially... Um, a functioning psychopath so if you feel that you're being dominated disrespected um, manipulated then you can use the practical tools in this book to help you to find coping strategies practical um, tools as well that you can use so how to build resilience personally and how to have conversations which avoid conflict and increase understanding um, lots and lots of um, advice in that book for people who feel helpless. There's lots written about psychopaths. People are fascinated by them. Um, and, and that's fine. But if you are exposed to a psychopath and if you really are living and working with one, you can feel hopeless and helpless. And so you don't just want to read about them. You want to know how to get yourself into a safe place in your mind and physically as well. And this book is the way... Um, it can help you could help you to do that so i'm sure when you're sat down doing a coaching session and you happen to come across a psychopath it's fascinating yeah. <laughs> like uh you know what are some of the interesting uh you know ways that they've communicated with you that's gone like this is this person's slightly different in some respect it's when that they um are relentlessly focused on their outcome whether that's money control sex power status all these things you know things that they might want to get to the detriment of other people and to the absolute disregard of the well-being um, emotionally or physically of the person that they need to use to get the thing that they want to get it's also you know loads of things that we read and, and uh, especially in the entrepreneurial world that we found ourselves in is kind of predicated on leveraging your assets and yep. building communities in order to you know achieve your outcomes yeah there seems like part of 
part of that is like preached to us as well as it being obviously a thing that we're... Yeah, the, the, there are, I mean, and there are some attributes of psychopathy, ambition, um, relentless single-minded focus, quick decision-making, those kinds of things, they can make for great business people and huge success. But when we couple that with disregard and even intent to harm someone else, well, that crosses a line in my book. Sure. Okay. Um, other questions on psychopaths. What can what what should I be asking you? Because I mean, I, I I have no idea really about psychopaths. <laughs> I, w- I wish. No, hang on, right? Let me have a look. Psychopaths in advertising. You've spoke about this, and so yeah. one thing which I thought was interesting there was that advertising is about to some degree manipulating an audience to consume or buy whatever it is you're trying to convince them to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, are they not just very, very good at their job? They're very good at convincing people to do things. Yeah. And so that's why advertising tends to be a, a melting pot. Yes. Um, it's dynamic. It's fast moving. They can hide easily. Um, they can climb the ladder, the, all, all kinds of things. It's not just the advertising industry that they're rife in, um, but but they are there. It's, you know, it's an exciting, sexy place to be. And so they're drawn to to that because that's where they thrive. Um. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Awesome. <laughs> I think so. For people that want to find out about that or know when it's released, how yeah. can people stay in contact with you so that they can uh, get their hands on it? They can go to my website chatglobal.uk.com. Um, they can follow me in various ways. Shall I tell you how? Yeah, do how it, you do can it, do, do that. It. The um, LinkedIn page is Charlotte Austin. Yep. Just my name. Um, and then Twitter is at chat in capital letters global in non-capital letters but all one word uh, facebook is chat global limited all one word lowercase um, and instagram is chat underscore coaching i should say that if uh, you're listening to this on your phone or something you can go to rickyvitches.com you'll find charlotte's uh, interview there and all these links will be linked up and so that much easier way of doing it if you're struggling with uh, rec- rewinding and doing all the lowercase and all that jazz. Yeah. Uh, so can I um, go into some quick-fire questions? Okay. And then I will ask you a final question, which are your big words of wisdom. Oh, God. So let's start with favourite book or learning resource. Oh, yeah, okay. So, um, well, my favourite book is Alice in Wonderland. I I feel like I should say something really <laughs> intellectual, but that's my favourite book. I've not read it, so... What? No, never read it, sorry. <gasps> it's, okay, it's, for me, it's everything. Okay. Yes, oh my goodness. Okay, it's, um, it's the fear of the unknown, it's trying to make sense of a world as we grow up and everyone around us is losing their head. It's trying to find comfort and sense and order in a disordered world there's a psychopath in there the caterpillar i mean my goodness me (laughs) (laughs) um there's all yeah alice in wonderland is a fascinating representation of our perception of reality as we try to sift our way through this crazy weird and wonderful wonderland so is that uh, is that intended that underlying narrative you believe 
Well, there's, gosh, there's so many. I actually haven't studied it um, to find out the official meanings, but that's that's the meaning for me, and it resonated with me when I was a small girl. And I I've read that book. I don't know how many times I've read it. I read it. I read it once a year for sure. Um, and I write about it in my book. I've interpreted the world of psychopaths in in terms of Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> in terms of the caterpillar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've used his, him and his example actually. Great, but, I love yeah, it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so, an event you would recommend? Um, well, an event I'd recommend is one I'm running, actually. I'm doing a retreat in Ibiza next week, an alignment retreat. So there's 12 women coming on. It doesn't have to be women, but yeah. it is in this case. Um, talking about how we can align our values with our behaviour. There's two places left, actually, even though it's a week away. This right. probably will air after that. Gone, <laughs> right, but it is still. a month from now, oh, okay. Um So I would say that I really enjoy going to uh, TEDx events. I find them absolutely fascinating. Um, so I would recommend that and just, yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm running a retreat in um, October. Yeah. For people that that want. So, so to... just give us a, the blanket of all your different. Like, do you run mo- uh, different events? Yes, I run lots of different events. So the one I'm running in October is, um, I think that a trend that is going to start happening. Um, as I love the fact you mentioned tribe. By the way, you've yeah. said it a couple of times. I'm, um, big on uh, Seth. Seth Godin is a, yeah definitely someone I love. Uh, learning from or yeah. listening to yes. or he runs a he has a great podcast called the Seth Godin Startup School which cool. is, it's just a 12 part series but fascinating yeah. and really good for people to listen to anyway yeah so i i run a program called tribe it's all about our our need to create community to connect with people who have similar beliefs as us and that is becoming more and more and more obvious in society people feel that they need a tribal connection we are more connected than ever in a weird kind of virtual sense but actually we crave real human connection so i do events called tribe uh, where we bring people together um, to reconnect with our instincts um, to ourselves remember how to make decisions based on our gut and our snap judgments um, that's actually a book, Thinking Fast and Slow, by Daniel Kahneman. It's, it's very heavy. It is heavy, but it's 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 an I st- interesting. I start one. to try and read it, and I don't normally put down books, but I had to put it mm-hmm. down because I was just like, it's just too. I'm really struggling with this. Try but, um, the Chimp Paradox by Dr. Stephen Peters. That's yeah. that's a that's more of an easily digestible one. Yeah, and but then that, that one, I always thought. They're just saying chimp instead of conscience. Or yeah, s- yeah, 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 yeah. He um, describes the um, emotional, the limbic brain yeah. as the primitive chimpanzee. It's an interesting book, though. It is, it is. Um, and then, yeah, so then, then another um, event that I'm running is uh, about how birds can help us deal with the brutality of business. Birds of prey. We go out into the wilderness um, in Sussex and we look at how... Um, Wow. Birds behave with each other to help us realise that uh, brutality and conflict is everywhere, even in what seems to be a peaceful and tranquil place. Um, it's everywhere and um, we can learn to deal with it in business without taking brutality personally, remain resilient and continue to soar. <laughs> <laughs> I like a yeah, nice uh, pun. Thanks. Yeah. It's metaphors everywhere. Um, so best ways for people to reach you, you've already mentioned your website. Yep. Do you give out your email? charlotte at chatglobal.uk.com there we go um and then also what i wanted to say go on is if people are listening and they think that anything that i've talked about is of any value whatsoever um and they would like me to come um 
what what I was wondering is if people would be interested in suggesting a workshop that would make a massive difference in their workplace. If you could think of one workshop that could run in your place of work, what would that workshop be? Send the ideas in to you or send them in to well, me. I had a uh, free giveaway slash any request for the audience. Yeah, so. right. Oh, okay, perfect. So yeah, that's what I'm go. saying. So right. if they send that stuff in, then me and you can pick one that yeah. could be featured and I will design and deliver that for free. Amazing. Look at that. That is incredible. So, yeah, please take Charlotte up on that. Mm-hmm. And um, so final, final question. Uh, if you could give the world one piece of advice to live a better and more meaningful life, what would it be? Live by your values. Know why you do what you do and stay true to yourself. There we have it. I think that's a great way to end. So, Charlotte, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really good to catch up again. Thank you for having me. And hopefully we'll stay in touch without years of uh, distance in between yeah. this time around. But, yeah, uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share. I'd also like to invite you to an ongoing project called the Move Me mailing list. If you enjoyed the show, I'm confident you'll enjoy this newsletter. It contains links to all the great content I've uncovered each month, along with insights of any interesting opportunities I've discovered. You can subscribe to this by visiting my website at rickyrichards.com. A special thanks to Frankie Byrne and James Utting, they're the tech heads that make this show possible. The intro music was composed by Dom Stores Fox. And thanks again to Reese Chapman for introing me to Lou and Lizette, the wonderful folks at Factory Studios in London, where this show is recorded. Finally, wherever you are in the world, I hope you have a great day and keep creating. Until next time, bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.